And uh, for those of you who uh, may not know me, I'm Jordan. I'm the assistant pastor here at Donvale. A happy daylight savings to you. I'm expecting um, a stream of people to come through that door very shortly. Uh, So good on you for uh, making it an hour earlier to church. Well, we come to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes today. Um, We're going to give this week a break from the book of Revelation. We'll come back to Ecclesiastes. We've already studied chapters 1 and 2. And we're going to continue where we left off in chapter 2, verses 18 to 26. And here, Solomon speaks of work. He's already spoken of wisdom and knowledge. um, And he's spoken in chapter 2 of pleasure. And now he's coming to the theme of work and um, talking about work. Uh, In your church Bibles, uh, this is on page 657. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can just find a Bible under the pew in front of you. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 18, I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Well, this is God's word. Why don't we um, bow our heads, lift up our hearts as we ask God for his help in understanding it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for this section of the Bible and what it teaches us about life and godliness, what it teaches us about work, and what it teaches us about Christ. Lord, help me to faithfully uh, explain this word, and Lord, may you give us the insight to understand it and apply it as well. So Lord, we ask for your Spirit's illuminating power to help us understand the Bible. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's this, um, there's this story of, uh, of an eccentric German millionaire. She had no husband, she had no kids, she had no relatives, but she had her dog. His name was Gunther III. And Gunther III, when she died, inherited uh, 80 million U.S. dollars. So he's become the world's richest dog. His net worth is now valued at 373 million U.S. dollars. 
Years ago, The Age reported uh, the story of a Portuguese aristocrat. And uh, before he died, he randomly selected 70 people from the phone book to give his wealth to because in his mind, he thought, why should the government get my money when I die? And then uh, the story has also been told of a man who in his will specified that he wanted to be buried with all of his money. So upon his death at the funeral, his wife wrote him a check and <laughs> dropped, it in the, dropped it in the casket. And so what you have, these stories really just illustrate the point, I think, that Solomon is making here. In chapter 2, verses 18 to 26, he's, he's saying you work and you labor and you toil and you slave away all your life. When you die, everything that you've earned will be left behind and it will go to someone else. It might go to your family members or your friends or the government or perhaps to your dog, Gunther. So you can work your whole life, you can work two jobs, you can scrimp and you can save and you can earn a sum of money and you can put it away for a rainy day. But Solomon's question in Ecclesiastes is this, what's the point of it all? What's the point of working if you're going to die anyways? And is there really meaning and value to the things that we do Monday through Friday? So I think as we look at this passage, what it teaches us is it teaches us God's intention for work and why work matters. And I want to examine three points this morning. The first point is really derived from the text. I'll explain the text here. It's the futility of work. And in our second point and third point, I'll try and apply the text, uh, the purpose of work and the glory of work as it relates to Christ's work. And I want to start with that first point, the futility of work, which is what Solomon is talking about here. In verse 18, Solomon says, I hated my toil. A lot of people can, can relate to that. Uh, Solomon hated his toil. Um, we also at times hate our toil, don't we? You know, your alarm clock goes off in the morning and it's freezing cold in the house. You have to wake up, turn it on, make yourself some breakfast, get the kids ready for school. You go to work, there's drama at work. Your coworkers aren't getting along. You've got heaps of work piling. Um, you come home and you have to do the laundry and the kids need bathing and the dinner needs prepping and welcome to the life of my wife. <laughs> and, and there's this element of work that is not enjoyable. And as Solomon observes life, he notices that, that, that people do work hard and they toil and they labor and they amass all this wealth and this property and this material, these material possessions. But, but as they approach the end of their lives, they start realizing that they have to leave it all behind. And that's the, really, look at your Bibles here, verse 18. That's really the sentiment of verse 18. Because he says, I hated all of my toil and labor because I knew that I would have to leave it all behind to the man who would come after me. And he says, who knows whether that man is wise or whether he's foolish. Now, we know from the book of 1 Kings that Solomon did have an incredible amount of wealth. He had one of the largest kingdoms. He had the, the most incredible kingdom in Israel's history. And he did have to leave that kingdom behind to his son Rehoboam, and who seized the southern part of his kingdom, and to his servant Jeroboam who seized the northern part of his kingdom. And both men who inherited the kingdom were evil men. 
and really just made a mess of things. So we see that, that what Solomon says here actually came true for him. Now think about Solomon's words in verse 18. In verse 18, he says this. He says, when I die, I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Someone else will be the master of my things. Now just stop and think about that verse for a second. Someone else will become the, he says, someone else will become the master of his things. And likewise, someone else will become the master of your things. Okay? So you have a house, you have um, a boat, you have a vacation rental, you're wearing a suit jacket this morning. And the reality, the sad reality is, someone else will become the master of those things. There will come a day when someone else will be wearing, perhaps wearing your clothes. Your clothes might end up in the op shot, or they might end up in a, in a rubbish tip. And this particular truth was distressing to Solomon. It may be distressing to us to think of it in that way. And he despairs over the thought that someone else might come and live in his palace and spend his money and drink from his vineyard and eat from his garden. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says this, Someone who has wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave it to be enjoyed by someone else who did not toil for it. You know, some people have the blessing of, of having really wonderful children. that they, they know that they can entrust their things to their children when they die. But there are other people in this life who really don't know what to do because their children, they know, are going to squander their wealth. And this is what Solomon is speaking of here, that, there are, that, that, that the things that he's worked hard for might go to people who don't deserve it. And notice uh, that he calls this a great evil in verse 21. Now, why is it a great evil? Well, it's a great evil because this is what life in a fallen world is like. This is, God did not create this world uh, for, us to, for us to die. In, instead, he created Adam and Eve to live forever. And it was through our sinful, uh, our sinful actions that we, that we fell. And now the world that we live in is filled with this great evil that, that everything in this life is fading and falling apart. Now here in Ecclesiastes, Solomon throughout the book is examining life as he sees it in this world. And he's thinking deeply about the meaning of life. Look at verse 23. He evaluates what he sees. And he sees this. People work hard, but even in their hard work produces what? He says sorrow or sadness, vexation, anger, and restlessness. Okay? He sees people who uh, have sleepless nights because they're so worried about work. They're so worried about losing their wealth. He sees people who are vexed, who are angry. Their work causes them frustration. They've been working for 10 or 20 years and they've gotten nowhere in their job. He sees people who are sad, they're sorrowful. Their work brings them despair. Well, think about the parent who, who raises a child who turns away from them, 
who wants nothing to do with them. Think about all the work that was put into parenting that child. And the sorrow that comes when that child uh, is estranged from a parent. It's incredibly sad. So that's what life in this fallen world is like. And it's not good, Solomon says. And, and we as Christians can say, well, this is not good. We long for a day when, when Christ will make all things new and all things good and all things right. His conclusion in verse 23 is that like everything else in this life, even work is hevel. Um, if you weren't here for the previous sermons, this word hevel is a Hebrew word. And if you translate it into English, the most accurate translation is smoke, vapor, or mist. And so what he's saying here is that our work, all of our labors are like smoke, vapor, or mist, because they don't last forever. Look at verse 24. There's a purpose also for our work, okay? So there's a futility for our work, there's a purpose for our work, and verse 24 highlights this. Verse 24 says this, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his work, in his toil, this also I saw from the hand of God. And notice those words, this also I saw or came from the hand of God. Work, he's saying, comes from the hand of God. And work also brings us enjoyment in life. So what he's saying there is it's not utterly futile. It's not utterly meaningless. There's actually a purpose for our work. And I want to highlight four things by way of application. First, that God created work and he called it good. Uh, second, that work is meant to cause us to glorify God. Third, work is meant to cause us to serve others. And fourth, work is a way that God blesses us. Let me explain that in more detail here. Work is a good thing. So you can go, go to Genesis chapter 1. It's the beginning of your Bible. And uh, in Genesis 1, we read that God did what? God created the heavens and the earth. The first thing that we ever learn about God in the Bible is that God worked. And um, he worked for six days and then rested on the seventh. God created. He, he co completed a task. On the first day of creation, he created. He worked to create the heavens and the earth. On the second day of creation, he worked again to create the sea and the skies. On the third day of creation, he worked to create vegetation and so on and so forth. And on, the, on day six, God worked and he created man in his own image. And we read that he designed men and women to reflect his image and to imitate him and to bear his likeness in this world. And because God worked for six days and rested on a seventh day, God actually designed us to work six days and to rest on a seventh day. We actually weren't made to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Uh, there's a principle that's in God's blueprint for humanity, and that principle is that we are called to work for six days and to rest a seventh day. It's a, and this principle, I think, is lost in our society because we're so driven by work. And we don't want to take a day off because that means we lose money, the thing that we love the most. But as we, we come to 
love God and, and understand His design and purpose for this world, we realize that it's good actually to work six days and rest on the seventh day. Adam and Eve in Genesis, they were also given a task. That task was to work. They were called to take care of God's world. And you can actually say that Adam, his vocation, his job, his calling was as what? A gardener. Or you could say he was also a farmer or a shepherd. He was called by God to take care of God's good world, to steward it, to take care of the animals, and to take care of his wife, his family. And likewise, we are stewards of God's world. We also are, are called to take care of this earth, called to take care of our families, called to take care of our finances and our material, uh, material wealth. And so work is a good thing. Work also glorifies God. So um, I remember as a teenager, I used to work on a chicken farm. And I'd wake up at 5 in the morning and I would catch chickens. I'd catch, I'd put three or four chickens in this hand and two chickens in this hand. And I'd load them up into a truck. And it was just a terrible job. I hated it. And, and the only thing that drove me uh, to do this job was the paycheck that came at the end of the day. It earned a lot of money. And the reason I took the job was so that I could earn money to spend on myself. So for me, the purpose of work was to benefit me. I think that's how most people think about work. Work is a means to an end, and that end is a paycheck. And that paycheck gets me everything that I ever could have wanted and dreamed and hoped for in life. And I want us to think about work in a different way. I want to challenge that way of thinking because it's not biblical. It's not biblical to, uh, to see work as a means to our own ends, but we need to see work as a means to glorify God and to serve others. Paul in 1 Corinthians, what does he say? He says whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, if you work on a pig farm or a chicken farm, you work in a factory, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Meaning that although Sunday is a day to rest and glorify God and worship Him. Monday is also a day where we glorify God and give Him thanks as well. It's not like we compartmentalize our week where we just have Sunday is the day where, where we worship for one hour and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we go to work and, and we serve our boss and then on Saturday we live for me. That's not what life is about. Life is about um, glorifying God in all that we do. And the work we do for God is important. And we can speak of the spiritual work that we do. We can speak of, you know, prayer, studying the scriptures together, serving in the church. That is important work. And, but I need to say this, that work, the spiritual work we do, is not more important than the physical work we do. It is not more superior to go and be a missionary in Cambodia than it is to be a janitor. Earlier in the service, we read Colossians 3, and it says this. And I think it really speaks to the, the purpose of work. It says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as, as you are working for the Lord. Now think about that. 
whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as you are working for the Lord. So you go, you're a janitor, okay? You're mopping floors for the glory of God. And you're working at it uh, diligently to honor Him. And then Paul says this, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, for it is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. Now, as Christians, we, we are Christ's ambassadors. The Bible speaks of that. Um, we are people who represent and reflect the image of God everywhere we go. Kind of like um, how the President of the United States is an ambassador for his nation. Everything that he does reflects on his office. So when he, he does something that's admirable, it reflects well on his office. When he does something poorly, it reflects poorly on his office. The same is true of athletes. You know, an athlete goes out and has a drunken night. It ends up in the news. It reflects poorly on the team. But if they do community service, it reflects positively on the team. When we as Christians do our work well for God's glory, when we show up on time, when we respect those, the reasonable uh, expectations of our employers, when the fruit of the Spirit is reflected in our work, uh, the world sees that. And they see that the church, that the people of God are actually different than the world. Christians, Christians show up on time for work. And they do their job well. Why are they so different? And it's cause for people to see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Now, of course, there are ways that we don't glorify God through our work. We don't glorify God when we overwork. When we kill ourselves working in such a way that we neglect our responsibilities to our family and to our church. We also don't glorify God in our work when we, um, when we are lazy. And the Bible says a lot about, about laziness. And Paul in 2 Thessalonians says, the one who is not willing to work will not eat. And so there are ways that we glorify God in our work, and there are also ways that um, we use work for sinful ends. So coming back to those three points, God created work, called it good. Uh, he uses it to glorify himself. And work is also a means to serve others. And it's, it's one of the most, tan most tangible ways that we can express love to others, the love of Christ to others. Think about this. When you sleep in, when you don't show up on time for a shift, when you waste time at work, who are you serving? You are ultimately, you're not serving God. You're not serving your neighbor. You're really serving yourself, aren't you? But when you put in a hard day's work, it's, it's actually a way to love others well, isn't it? Think about it. You, you serve your family by providing for them. You serve your community by offering them goods and services. You serve your church by supporting gospel work financially. And so we can, we can use work as a way to fulfill the second greatest commandment, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Think about all the various professions that do this. You work at a restaurant, you feed the hungry. You work as a lawyer. God has called you to help ensure that people get the justice that they need. You work as a builder. God has called you to put a roof over people's heads. You work as a doctor. You're called to heal people. You work as a stay-at-home mom. What an incredible calling. 
God has called you to disciple your children, to raise your kids to know Christ. Whether you sell books or whether you serve on city council or clean houses, your job is important because it's actually the primary way that you glorify God and the primary way that you love others who are created in God's image. So we are called to, to serve God in our vocation. There's a fourth purpose for work. God uses work to bless us. Now, just imagine with me for a second a world where no one works. You know, Daniel Andrews comes up with this new no working scheme. And the whole year is the Melbourne uh, Cup weekend and one big long holiday. And everyone just stays home and beds are not made and nappies are not changed and clothes are not washed and gardens are not kept. And you go out for a nice meal and no one is there to serve you, which is, I guess, already the reality of the world we live in. Pest control hasn't sprayed the hotel that you're staying in. And we can all say that that would be a pretty miserable state of affairs. Work is vital to our society. In fact, we would not enjoy blessing in life if there was no work. And that's really the meaning of verses 24 and 25. Solomon teaches us that both work and the fruit of work, labor, labor and the fruits of our labors, are both gifts from God. He says there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment or satisfaction in his toil. And then he says this is also from the hand of God. So he's saying there that both work and leisure are gifts from God. And it's through work that we experience those gifts and enjoy those gifts. God uses work to bless humanity. Now let me explain that a little bit more here. In the Garden of Eden, Adam worked all day. Six days he worked, and then through his work, he was able to experience the blessing of fellowship with God and life in the garden. And likewise, um, let's say you're a gardener. You go out into your garden. You plant tomatoes and cucumbers. You spend weeks pruning and tending and caring for your garden and weeding, and it produces for you what? A salad. And of course, you need to supplement that with a steak. And so you sit down at the table and you eat salad and you eat steak. And then you bow your head and you lift up your heart to heaven and you thank God, not just for the food that's been given to you, but also for the hands that have prepared it. And through your work and your labor, you're able to enjoy God's good gifts and you're able to thank him for the opportunity to work and the fruit that it's produced. Work produces blessing. Now this leads me to a third and final point. And I want to speak of the glory of work. The glory of work. Solomon worked and it produced something glorious, didn't it? It produced for him a kingdom. And we, like I said earlier, we know that his kingdom was, uh, was massive. Um, he had... He, he built two palaces. He had the throne hall. He built for himself a hall of justice. Um, he had built for himself this massive covered porch where he was able to overlook the city. He was the wealthiest king in the history of Israel. He produced for himself a glorious kingdom. 
But if you go to Israel today, um, his kingdom is 10, 20 feet underground. Hardly anyone remembers his kingdom. The only memory we have of his kingdom is in Scripture. His kingdom is, is buried under layers of rubble. And so what was once glorious is fading because of the fall, because we live in a sinful world. As a kid on the playground, we used to spend our six months of winter building snow forts, these massive snow forts with tunnels and ramparts and towers. And we would spend the bulk of our recess building these structures. On Friday afternoon, we'd get 20 minutes to play. And then on Monday, the sun will have melted it all. And that, all that work that we put into that was for nothing. In 2008, the stock market crashed, and so many people lost their, their jobs and their homes and everything that they had ever earned and worked for. I've been keeping up with friends in, in Florida, and they just had a really terrible hurricane. And uh, Fort Myers Beach was basically devastated by this hurricane. Everything that people had worked for uh, their whole lives, their life-saving has been destroyed. And that's the nature of life in this world, isn't it? Uh, the carpenter builds with rotting wood. The baker bakes with food that spoils. The tailor sews with clothing that wears and tears. The plumber installs pipes that uh, rust. And there's nothing glorious about rotting wood. There's nothing glorious about rusting pipes. See, we as humans, we long for things that last. Things that don't fade, that don't rot. Things that can't be lost to a hurricane or a financial crisis. Things that are eternal. And we find that um, here in the scriptures, that there is actually an eternal aspect to work. Look with me at chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. I'm going to skip ahead. I'll come back to this this text again in another sermon, but I just want to highlight these verses, verses 9 to 11. Solomon says this, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. You have God's purpose for work. It does have an eternal purpose. For God has put eternity, inscribed eternity, into the hearts of men and women. It's one of my favorite verses in Ecclesiastes. Because we all share this in common. We, we all long for things that are going to last. Even the secular world longs for things that are going to last. Uh, the secular world tries to satisfy that, lo that longing often. They, when they build, they use stone instead of wood. They use titanium instead of aluminum. Scientists and medical professionals devote their lives trying to improve life and sustain life. But all these longings for eternity and for things that will last cannot be satisfied by anything that we do. 
No, they can only be satisfied by what Christ has done. The only man who was ever capable of building something that lasts forever was Jesus Christ. And we see throughout the scriptures from start to finish that he is the Savior who works. In the very first pages of Genesis, we see that he worked as a creator, creating this world, designing it. He was the architect of the universe. We see in his incarnation that he was the son of a carpenter. He identifies with us by doing menial, uh, toilsome labor. He identifies with us by building things. He was also, he worked as a servant, washing people's dirty feet. He worked as a priest. That's, that's why we come to church every week, because through his priestly work as a priest, he has, he has brought us near to God. He has atoned for our sins and forgiven us as, as a priest. He works as a king. He rules and reigns over us. And he, he calls us to submit our lives to him. He works as the owner of the vineyard calling us to harvest souls with him through the preaching of the gospel. He's, he works as the good shepherd, guiding us and uh, caring for us and prote protecting us from all harm. He works as the builder of his father's house, preparing a place for us. And, and he works so that, that we might also work for him, that he might, his glorious work might be put on display in us. And so... Christ came to give, any, give us the meaning of work, to show us that work actually does have an eternal value. The things we do in life, whether you're retired or whether you're, you're young, you're going to school, that that matters eternally. In this passage, Solomon is haunted by the fact that his work might produce nothing and that his inheritance might be given to someone who doesn't deserve it. That's what verse 18 says. He says, I hated all my toil, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. This is where Christ and Solomon differ. Solomon hated that his inheritance would go to someone else. But Christ came with one purpose, to glorify his God, his, God, his Father, and to bring us an inheritance, to offer us his, his inheritance. Now, as we think about the meaning of work, we need to set our minds on the work of Christ. Because it's as we think about the work of Christ, that's when we find meaning and purpose in our work. So, that's what I have for you this morning. My time is up. Tomorrow, your alarm clock is going to go off. You're probably going to still be feeling the effects of daylight savings. I'm not going to set an alarm clock because it's my day off tomorrow. But your alarm will set, be set, and you'll wake up, and you'll start a new week of childminding, of cleaning, of building, of writing reports. And you can look at life from one or two, of two perspectives. You can look at life from the perspective of, I'm just trying to make ends meet. I'm trying to earn a paycheck. I'm trying to make money so I can spend it on myself and live however I want to live. Or... You can look at this week with fresh new eyes. Christ the man who worked for your salvation gives meaning and purpose to your work. Your work matters because God created work. 
and he calls it good. He, that's, he designed us to work. When we, do, when we live as God has designed us, we glorify God. Work glorifies God. When we do our work to the best of our ability, it, it brings him honor. And like I said, your work is good for your neighbor. Uh, we show love to other people by working hard, don't we? And then finally, it's the way that God blesses us. I mean, we enjoy life because we work. And we can thank God for, for work and for the blessings that he brings us through work. And so I want to close now with this quote by Charles Spurgeon. And it speaks of the kind of the sanctity of work. And he says this. He says, the shop, the barn, the kitchen, in one sense they are like temples. When men and women work, they work in, in their respective spheres, and they do it all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this gift of work. Lord, it is something that every single one of us can relate to. Because you have called us all to work. And um, we pray that you, would, um, that you would help us gain that heavenly perspective. That our work matters because it glorifies you. And it is good for other people. And you use work to bless us. Lord, take what, what I have said and what the scriptures have said. And use these words to, to comfort those who are weary and to challenge those um, who need to be challenged. And so we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.